You're listening to audio from the 2022 Liturgy Collective Conference, a gathering for the promotion of rest, connection, and growth. For more information on upcoming conferences, visit liturgycollective.com. We are going to get things started post-coffee break with a panel discussion called Psalmists and Songwriters. Our God is a songwriter. And like every songwriter here, he delights when other people sing his music. And his songs have filled the mouths and the hearts of his people for millennia. It's not just an Old Testament Israelite thing. It's a New Testament church thing. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The songwriting God loves when his people sing his songs. In the past several decades, however, the psalms have been increasingly neglected in the liturgies and the singing of many churches across a variety of worship traditions. So today, we hope to have a discussion about why that is and what we as songwriters of the church children of the songwriting God might do about it. I am Dr. Trevor Lawrence. I'm the executive director of the Cataclesia Institute in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and lecturer of biblical studies at the King's College in New York. And I am thrilled to be joined today with this panel of speakers. We have Dr. David Taylor, associate professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary in Houston, and the author of Open and Unafraid, the Psalms as a Guide to Life. Sandra McCracken, who is a hymn writer, recording artist, and author. Her 2015 album, Psalms, is a beautiful example of what might be called a psalmic renaissance in contemporary songwriting. Paul Ranheim is a pastor and musician in Longmont, Colorado, and a member of the Woodrake Sessions, who recently released an album entitled From the Valley to the Golden Shore. And finally, we have Kevin Twitt, RUF campus minister at Belmont University and the founder of Indelible Grace Music. So let's begin our discussion of psalmists and songwriters. Why, in your estimation, have the psalms fallen out of use in corporate worship among contemporary churches? What's going on there? Just thought. <laughs> I, I was, I'll say this. Uh, is this working? Yeah, I think this is good. Um, you said the last 20, 30 years. I think it actually goes way, way, way back before that, right? And, and you see, you know, especially in the English-speaking tradition, psalms and exclusive psalms. And then what you get with the introduction of hymns, particularly 19th, 18th century, is picking hymns to go with the topic of the sermon. That's a little tricky when you look at the Psalter, because they often cover a range and they don't fit neatly into that kind of world. Um, so I think in the English-speaking, like reformed-ish 
kind of world that's non-liturgical, this, it's hard to know how to put the Psalms with a neat topic that fits the topic of the preacher's sermon. And you see that with hymnals up until hymns in ancient and modern. They're based on topics so that you can find the, ser- the hymn for your sermon more than kind of the, the liturgical kind of arrangement that we see in a lot of modern hymnals. So I think we still have a lot of the legacy of that is my, my guess. I'll, I'll just add a couple of things here. Um, I mean, really briefly, and, and historians may disagree about some of these things, which is fine, but I think maybe there are three factors that come into play. <clears throat> and um, sort of the late medieval um, liturgy of the Catholic West, the Psalms are embedded into every single aspect of liturgy. So once, once you discard, I guess, the whole liturgy, then you're discarding the things that are embedded within the liturgy. Um, all, if you know what the word service music means, like the Alleluia and the Glory and the Sanctus and the Agnus Dei, those are all Psalms based. So again, once you remove the whole structure, you're taking away sort of this endemic <clears throat> relationship of the Psalms to the church's worship. I think, Kevin, you could agree or disagree with me, but I think metrical psalmody sowed the seeds of its dissipation within. Oh, yeah. Because once you take sort of bits and pieces of the Psalms and set it into sort of a singable form, then you're opening up the possibility of hymnody, which is great. But at that point, you're moving a little bit further afield from the, the direct use of the Psalms. And, and then I think the third reason is there's just a lot of really hard and weird stuff in the Psalms. And yeah. I mean, I know you, you, you think a lot about curses and cursing and, um, and angry things, Trevor. That's kind of your style. No, he's in precatory psalms. You got good stuff on that. Um, I mean, that was a big deal for the church, you know, in, in the modern era. And um, so just large swaths are, you know, eradicated from the Psalter. And then now you get the piecemeal approach. And then the piecemeal approach becomes the normative approach. It's to piecemeal your way through the Psalms. Okay, so that's just a thought. I was just going to add, like, thank, thank you for filling out the history. But um, in this day and age, we prize songs that are very accessible, that are easily relatable. But many of the Psalms aren't. They take work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we as, as people in ministry, in the church, there's areas that we can um, push into the work. Preaching through Romans is a challenge, but we all know it's worth it. And so I, I wonder if there's something we're missing um, and that the Psalms call us to lean in, to study it more, to unpack it more in order for it to, uh, for us to see how it applies to us here now. My two cents, just to add to what you guys are saying, is just on, the, on a personal or devotional level, we forget to go there because there are so many distractions. There's such a temptation to go somewhere else with our day-to-day life. And so Psalms in church is, there's a parallel, a strong parallel to our personal lives. And like, where do we go in prayer? Do we cry out? Do we read the whole Psalm together as a family or with the people that we live with in our, when we're awake in the middle of the night? And I think those, the correlation between why we do it in church has, the formation is part of what we, you know, pushes back against all the other, um, the voices that would say there's somewhere else to go. And the Psalms help bring me back to go to that place. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the conversation of like, how do we get more in, this, in the services so that we can bring them home too? You know, um, tie into that, what you guys were saying, Isaac Watts does not do versions of all 150 Psalms. 
He does 133. And he literally says in the preface that there are some of the Psalms that are too Jewish and you can't get Christian joy into them. So he doesn't do, for instance, a version of Psalm 88. He doesn't do that one, right? Darkness is my closest friend. Ann Steele does does about 30. Ann Steele does 30 versions and she does Psalm 88 Mm -hmm. and she does it honestly, but it's like 10 verses. So how do you sing that, right? So it sounds like we, we agree, and I imagine that you out there feel it in your own context as well, that there, there is an absence of psalmody. We're missing something. So I'd like you to tell what are we missing when we neglect the psalms? Or to put it positively, how can recovery of the psalms in the life and worship of the church fill out our worship and our formative discipleship? Well, I get. I mean, it, it's to reiterate kind of that same idea is just is just uh, pressing in and go putting these putting the psalms before our, our like putting them in our real lives, putting them in our services, putting them in our day to day rhythms, um, writing them out or uh, writing the writing it for me. Writing is a big way of processing. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's a starting point. Then saying them together when we're in corporate settings is also really reinforcing because there's sometimes you find yourself, we've talked about this, Kevin, you've taught me this with hymns. You find yourself in one part of it on one week and then you find yourself in a different verse on another week. So trusting that the Spirit of God will bring things to life at a moment that you need them and letting the Spirit bring those words to us and to our hearts and to our circumstances to apply them. Yeah. Yeah, I think along those lines, I mean, the Psalms, if you sing the whole psalm, and not just the happy verses out of a psalm and call it this psalm, right? Um, Take you places where you didn't expect to go and maybe where you didn't want to go. And I I remember one time talking with a student who suffered just really horrific abuse, and I remember thinking, we should read Psalm 139, because I was remembering the Amy Grant song, Everywhere I Go, in this nice little reggae song. And I forgot what the end of the psalm, where it goes. And and as we started to get there, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? But it was profound. She needed to read that. She needed to wrestle with, why does he want to make his bed in the depths of Sheol? That doesn't just come out of the blue, right? And uh, I think that's scary. But it's so helpful to have divinely sanctioned words to take us to those really scary places. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just uh, underscore that. Uh, in a lot, I'm an Anglican, and a lot of our traditions of reading Scripture... <clears throat> Uh, we cycle through scripture over a year, three years. Uh, when we get to Psalm 139, we actually skip the penultimate part because it's imprecatory language. And so it's that, you know, lovely, search me and know me. Um, but the last part, um, it starts with you know me and it's wonderful and then it ends with search me. But the, that last part only makes sense because there's the imprecatory part before. So I think you're right that without... Um, immersing ourselves in the totality of the Psalms, um, our humanity s- suffers in, in, in as much as there is darkness in us. There is evil in the world. Uh, there is, you know, a response that is appropriate to that, which in some cases is rage, a holy rage. Um, yeah. So I, I think at some level we're being um, malformed in how we stand before God. Why, I mean, why'd you name your book Open and Unafraid? 
Because the publisher said I should do that. No. <laughs> I mean, that's usually the way it works. And then I was like, oh, I got to rewrite the introduction. Uh, no, but yes, yeah, it, for sure. Yeah, it, it is like to be vulnerable is the beginning of, of you know, uh, healing and restoration, transformation. Yeah. One thing I'll add is uh, I feel like the, the, if we sing the whole Psalter, we begin to get a more complete and robust understanding of who God is. Uh, when we pick and choose little aspects of the psalm, we can choose that the Lord is my shepherd, which is absolutely true, that, that he is loving, that he's fatherly. Uh, but to sing the whole Psalter means that we get to see God in his judgment, that we get to see God in his vengeance. And we need to be challenged to hold those things together because our God is complete. And those things, his judgment, his anger, they're really, really good and worthy of praise just as much as the shepherding sides of God. So I think it fills out our understanding of God, but also I think it fills out our, our understanding, our, our human experience in worship, that when we sing psalms of lament, it invites us and gives us permission for sadness, for frustration to be appropriate in our services when we sing songs that celebrate the beauty of God's word, it reminds us, oh my, yeah, God's word really is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I could keep going with a number of different topics, and really I'm just choosing the chapters of David's book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's th- these, different, uh, these different topics of the Psalms show us uh, a bigger picture of who God is and broaden our experience in what's appropriate in worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just add something that's in your department. Uh, biblical scholars remind us that a third of scripture comes to us in poetry. And that maybe is just another way of saying is that God talks poetry talk. Mm -hmm. And so part of the Psalms is training us to respond in poetry talk because there are certain things that we can only understand about God through poetry. And there are certain things that we can only say to God faithfully through poetry. And poetry is not in order to get to discursive prose. It's the way through to the true knowledge of God. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a theme in a lot of those answers, um, which is be- almost before we ask the question, what are we missing without the Psalms? We need to ask a prior question. Do our prayers and our songs tell the truth? Are they yeah. capable of telling the truth about God, about the world, but also about ourselves? So we've... we've talked about the Psalter itself, why we neglect it, what it can do for us, but we're in a room full of practitioners and creatives. And so I'd like us to take a turn into how we can be part of a solution to the problem that we've just diagnosed. Practically speaking, how can songwriters of the church today help our communities recover these Psalms? What, what does that look like as, as a creative, as a musician? I got one idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always come to conferences looking for resources. Um, you all know that this, this book, Psalm for All Seasons, here's what I found. I, I, this is not the first time I've been on a conference talking about why don't we sing psalms. Um, and I find for, for a lot of people, like we need to learn from people that have kept doing it and have really worked with some of these things. And, and this book is a great resource, Psalms for All Seasons, put together by uh, Calvin. Uh, Institute of Worship, because they like, what do you do with a psalm that changes the mood in the middle? And if you have a metrical tune, the music may fit for the part, this part, but not this part. Well, maybe you 
have some instrumental music that goes to a different place and you read that part of the psalm. And they've got, they've got all kinds of creative ideas for ways to navigate these problems. And I find a lot of Presbyterians these days are trying to figure this out. And I'm like, there's people that have been working with this and they got a lot of great ideas. So I would commend that uh, to you. One, uh, I don't know if this is, one thing that I'm thinking just in your last question and then into this one is just the, the way we're drawn to movement and that there's movement in the Psalms. So I think about Psalm 73, there's like a hinge point, there's a turning point in the middle, there's like a pivot from complaint entering into the sanctuary and then it enters into worship. And I, I guess in a very practical sense, the more that we sing the Psalms, uh, Psalm 43 is the same way, that whole idea we were just talking about. The beginning is this complaint, vindicate me, O God. The middle is send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. And then the last part is worship. And, it, and the way these Psalms connect from one to the next, I guess uh, if, this, if this is too abstract, forgive me, but just that we would look for God's movement and to pivot our hearts as we're orchestrating services or worship or liturgies so that we can expect like like exactly what you're saying if you if you have an instrumental section and I mean we just did that in the other room too just yeah. watching the movement and there was one song that I just like sat back and wanted you all to sing it and it was just it was like okay the lord is singing this and then I jumped back in but just this way that we watch for God's spirit to take these psalms and to pivot our hearts through I guess the old-fashioned word is conversion, like repentance, like we're turning from one thing to the other. And that might happen five times. You might have to turn, continue turning back to the Lord in one service or in one song. And that's, that is like the joy of it, is realizing that there's always movement. Um, John O'Donohue talks about that in his poetry, like leaves falling. You look outside, the movement is God saying, like, I'm, I'm calling you to see and to be moved toward me in this stuff. So the Psalms are just such a poetic gift. I love that you're saying we sing, we sing back to him in poetry um, because he's made us that way, and he does that first. I'm, I'm going to say, like, what are, in terms of how, how we can re, re, uh, revive them or bring them back in, like, you might be hearing this or hear about that, that Psalms book that Kevin just mentioned. Be like, man, that just will not fly in my context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my question is like, well, okay, well, will. Um, like, we're, we're all called to minister within our own context. And we can, in, never, in many ways, like never just copy and paste. And so, it's, uh, so to all the songwriters, let's say, what are ways that you can write some of these exact songs? I think that book's a great resource in seeing how some of these are metrically or laid out or kind of put to poetry, I think that's super helpful. Uh, there's other psalms that are been, have been set to music that aren't exact, uh, like Joy to the World, Isaac Watts, mm-hmm. in Psalm 98. Um, I think any of those practices, like wh- whatever fits for you, how can you just kind of lean into that a little bit more? And as writers, how can you write in line with that? And I would say, I mean, this is going a little bit outside the scope of this, but as we write psalms, like what are the what are the new psalms that need to be written as well? Uh, because as as we learn and draw off the the truth and the manner that the psalms put that truth to poetry, how can we keep making that? How can we use uh, analogies and metaphors that make make sense in this day and age? Since we're not an agrarian society, like uh, there's so much creativity uh, that is. Um, <laughs> that is required, but also there's, there's such a huge opportunity. Um, anyways, mm. I'll stop. 
Yeah, I, I, I love what you just said, Paul. It's exactly what I was going to say, so I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say Paul said it really, really well. Um, to really pay attention to your context, to take advantage of the treasure trove of resources that are out there. And if you don't know where they are, ask Kevin. He'll tell you where they are. Um, so all I'll maybe add to compliment is one of the, I guess, fundamental features of the Psalms is that they're very dialogical. No, not, they're not very. They are dialogical by nature. So you're constantly in dialogue with God, with each other, with creation, with the world. So whatever ways that you might you know, think the Psalms could fit within your liturgical context, press into the dialogical part. Just figure out how can we make this a genuine exchange between people and God, between one another, between ourselves and the world or our, our souls. It can be a, a dialogue partner. Um, so it's not monologues that we're after, but sort of a, a true exchange uh, as a Jewish philosopher, Martin Bieber, puts it, an I-thou rather than I-it kind of relationship. So, uh, I'll add another resource. Um, so many of the great hymn writers um, did versions of almost every psalm. And uh, I would love to see somebody put together a hymnal that are hymn versions of psalms. And you could easily do it. Charles Wesley did almost every one. Henry Light wrote a version of almost every psalm. So did James Montgomery, right? Hail to the Lord's anointed is a version of a psalm. It's why it goes to a place of justice and crying out for it, which almost no traditional hymns ever touch, right? We talk about modern worship songs and what they're missing. Traditional hymn misses things too, unless it goes to the psalms. Um, and I think that would be a great, great resource and a great project because you can see different versions uh, and maybe be inspired by some other uh, cracks that people have taken at it. Have you all done chant singing very much with like the traditional? I mean, that's that can be a way to get those long phrases in. The first time I, I heard that was kind of later in life, and I uh, I thought it was like a Bob Dylan way of singing the Psalms. It was so awesome. So anyway, that's just. Like, <laughs> what you talking about, chanting? Yeah, no. Chanting. Oh yeah, chanting. Yeah. Yeah. Chant is weird it for is modern weird. people, it is. and and that aesthetic concern that you brought up. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just say in my church context, I was like, we've got the Psalms everywhere, but I don't know if we can ever do Psalm chant. Yeah. I'm yeah. just not sure we have the aesthetic appetite as 21st century totally. Westerners yeah. for that. So you know what we did? We started teaching them to our children. Oh, that's what Calvin did. I, I, <laughs> we literally, we take the kids yeah. and we we sing, and the kids sing, and I'm expecting that within six months, chanted psalmody will have infected the homes of our church, uh -huh. so that so that we can introduce them in corporate worship as well. Yeah, I'd like to end. I imagine that there can be a fire in our guts to want to be part of this, but there are going to be challenges along the way. Practically speaking, what obstacles ought we to expect in the creative process if we're wanting to make music that is also a recovery of the Psalms? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for years. Would you mind just giving us a glimpse into what it looks like for Sandra McCracken to have writer's block? <laughs> uh, well, um I, I appreciate the question. I guess it, it really, for me, started as a little girl as a, like a prayer practice. So if, you, if thinking about, it just makes me think about Jesus saying, when you pray, pray this way. And he's 
if prayer is life, it is like coming out of us. Praying these psalms becomes, before we start thinking about how we're going to do it, I mean, I think I, I feel like I keep saying the same thing, but we just like breathe these words back to the Lord in entirety and then breathe and then share them with our children and with our people around our tables and in our homes. And uh, we will be changed by them because they naturally are going to move us toward his spirit. And he is, like you just said, Paul, God is going to keep making new songs out of our lives and out of our uh, communities together. And so part of that's going to, we're going to see some new songs emerge. So that's my hope is just we start doing it. Collaboration helps yeah. too, because if you're stuck or you need a, how are we going to navigate this? Um, getting some collaborators can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then just knowing that it's hard. I mean, some of them are really long, right? How, so how do you do that? Uh, the last thing I'd say is you have to talk about why you're doing what you're doing. Um, people approach everything. This was my talk last year, right? As consumers, mm -hmm. I like this or I don't like it. The only way you get past that is to regularly talk about why we're doing this and why it's worth doing. And then people will give you, I think, a little more leeway to try something if they're convinced it's intentional and it's not just your personal preference. Thank you so much. It sounds like the, the first step we need to take is to ourselves as creatives, as songwriters, as worship leaders, to simply be immersed in the grammar of God. Mm -hmm. That is what the Psalms are. They are the grammar of God. And if we want to be native speakers of his language in our own music writing, uh, there's, there's nothing better that we can do than to simply be saturated in them ourselves. Will you join me in thanking our panelists for this conversation? Thanks, guys.